This video contains content that viewers may find disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to 100 Horrible Ways People Can Die. I'm John. And I'm Alex. Today's episode is titled Suffocated, where we'll be investigating the deadly ways in which people can suffocate. For today's suffocation event, we'll be delving into the Golly Bridge disaster that occurred during the construction of the Hawknest Tunnel in West Virginia between 1930 and 1931. This tragic event claimed the lives of hundreds of workers. We'll explore the reasons behind the tunnel's construction, the experiences of the workers, and the lessons learned from the disaster. The Hawk's Nest Tunnel tragedy is considered one of the worst industrial disasters in the United States history. It took place in the small town of Golly Bridge, West Virginia, during the height of the Great Depression. The project was originally to build a three-mile-long tunnel through the Golly Mountain to divert water for electrical power generation to make steel. The construction process was expedited for reasons that remain uncertain, and the companies involved neglected standard safety precautions. Workers were subjected to unsafe conditions as they drilled through 99% silica without proper ventilation, masks, or dust reduction methods. Consequently, many workers developed acute silicosis, Silicosis is a debilitating and incurable lung disease caused by the inhalation of tiny particles of silica dust. These particles scar lung tissue, making it difficult for the lungs to function properly and absorb oxygen, eventually leading to respiratory failure and death. Many workers developed silicosis within months. It normally takes years to manifest. The Golly Bridge disaster is often called America's worst industrial disaster due to the sheer number of lives lost. While exact numbers are debated, it's estimated that anywhere from 400 to 1,000 workers died. In May 1931, a local newspaper attempted to expose the hazardous working conditions and the suffering of the workers, but a judge stopped its publication. The town became known as the Town of the Living Dead. Based on what we know about the failed attempt by the new reporter, let's speculate how the events unfolded. Thomas O'Connell was a young, ambitious reporter working for the Fayette Tribune, in the small town of Golly Bridge, West Virginia. He had a knack for uncovering stories that others overlooked. The town was buzzing with whispers about the mysterious deaths and suffering of the workers at the Hawk's Nest Tunnel Project. Thomas was determined to expose the truth. As Thomas began to dig deeper, he discovered that the working conditions at the tunnel were appalling and the workers were dying from a mysterious illness. He knew he needed more evidence before he could expose the story to the world. One day, Thomas decided to venture into the heart of the construction site, armed with a small camera and a notepad. As he sneaked through the construction zone, he witnessed the horrifying scene of a worker gasping for breath, his face contorted in agony. The man was as pale and as thin as a skeleton. His clothes and body were covered in white dust. Thomas watched in horror as the man's chest heaved violently his body writhing in pain as he choked on the very air he was trying to breathe. The man's labored breaths were shallow and rapid, as the extensive scarring and inflammation in his lungs caused by months of inhaling pure silica dust made it nearly impossible for him to draw in sufficient oxygen. His face had become a haunting shade of blue. The fibrous nodules that had formed in the man's lungs due to silicosis were now obstructing the flow of air, causing the delicate air sacs, or alveoli, to collapse. This in turn dramatically reduced the surface area available for gas exchange, preventing oxygen from entering the bloodstream and carbon dioxide from being expelled. 
the man's body desperately strained to compensate for the oxygen deficiency, but each breath only brought more pain and further exhaustion. As the man's condition worsened, his immune system weakened, making him more susceptible to secondary infections like pneumonia and tuberculosis. His heart pounded fiercely, struggling to pump blood through the damaged and constricted pulmonary arteries, which led to increased pressure in the blood vessels. Without the ability to get air, the man died of suffocation. Thomas could see the terror in the man's eyes as he fought for every last breath, his life slipping away in a slow, agonizing process. It was a sight he would never forget, and it fueled his determination to bring this story to light, to ensure that the hazardous working conditions and the suffering of the workers would not go unnoticed. The next day, a local judge had Thomas brought in so he could have a talk with him, advising Thomas that he was in over his head. At the end of the conversation, the judge issued a gag order, forcing Thomas to halt his investigation and the publication of his story. Undeterred, Thomas continued to gather evidence, secretly meeting with whistleblowers in the dead of night. But his actions didn't go unnoticed. One evening, as Thomas returned to his small apartment, he found a threatening note on his door. Stop digging or you'll be buried too, it read. As Thomas continued his investigation, he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched. He caught glimpses of shadowy figures lurking in the corners of his vision, always disappearing when he tried to confront them. One night, as he was returning home after interviewing a doctor who had treated several workers with silicosis, he heard footsteps echoing behind him in the dark, empty street. His heart pounding, Thomas decided to confront his pursuer. But before he could react, he was grabbed from behind, his arms pinned to his sides by strong hands. He struggled in vain as a dark cloth was pressed over his nose and mouth, and within moments, his world went black. When Thomas awoke, he found himself bound to a chair in a dimly lit room. Before him stood a well-dressed man, his cold eyes revealing a sinister intent. Mr. Thomas, your snooping around has become quite the annoyance, the man said, a cruel smile playing on his lips. You should have left this story alone. As the man continued to taunt Thomas, another figure emerged from the shadows behind him. It was the local judge who had issued the gag order, his face now contorted in a menacing scowl. You've been warned, Mr. Thomas, the judge sneered. Stop poking your nose where it doesn't belong, or you'll find yourself in a world of trouble. The threat was clear. Thomas realized that if he wanted to live, he needed to tread carefully. But he couldn't shake the memories of the workers he had seen, their suffering, and the injustice they faced. He couldn't ignore what he saw. He made a life-altering decision. He would risk everything to expose the truth, even if it meant putting his own life on the line. Thomas knew he was up against powerful, ruthless men who would stop at nothing to silence him. He racked his brain for a plan to get his story out of Golly Bridge and into the hands of those who could make a difference. With each passing day, he felt the weight of responsibility for the suffering workers and their families, fueling his determination to bring justice to those who had been wronged. One night, as he sat in his dimly lit apartment, going over his notes and photographs, he had an idea. Thomas decided to enlist the help of his trusted friend, Amelia, who lived in the neighboring town. A fearless and resourceful woman, Amelia had connections to several attorneys and journalists throughout the country. Under the cover of darkness, Thomas slipped out of Golly Bridge, evading the watchful eyes of those who sought to silence him. 
He met Amelia in a secluded spot, where they exchanged hushed whispers and shared the evidence Thomas had collected. Amelia, horrified by what she learned, vowed to help Thomas expose the truth. Working together, they meticulously crafted a plan to send the story to attorneys and journalists nationwide. Thomas's heart raced as he considered the potential consequences, but he knew that the only way to bring justice to the workers and their families was to expose the powerful men behind the project. Over the next few weeks, Amelia carefully reached out to her contacts, sharing Thomas's story and the evidence he had collected. Initially, only the radical press carried the story, but eventually Hawk's Nest Gauley Bridge became a national cause, drawing in the U.S. Congress and the court system. The disaster was the subject of years of hearings and legal proceedings, including over 300 lawsuits. The total amount of damages represented just over 1% of the project cost. The disaster seems little remembered today, even though novels were written about it and documentaries were made. All right, let's get in some fast stats. Yeah. So our odds or chances of getting uh, silicosis. Silicosis. All right, so according to the data available from the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, in the United States, there were 161 deaths attributed to silicosis mm-hmm. in 2015. This number has gradually desi- uh, declined over the years mm-hmm. uh, with 1,065 deaths in 1990 and 301 in 2005. Mm-hmm. So your odds are pretty low on getting this type of illness due to all of the safety regulations that have been put in place. Right. So here are some tips to reduce the risk of developing silicosis. And for our first one, I'm going to be real common sense here. Don't work with silicone dust. Don't breathe it. Don't breathe it. And if you are working in an environment where there is some, wear PPE, wear a respirator, wear a mask. That's right. Wear goggles or hire a trained professional. Treat it the same way you would asbestos because at the end of the day, it's just as deadly, if not deadlier, as asbestos. And we, none of us want to work with that. Correct. Correct. So PPE, right. don't breathe the dust. What else we got? Training training if you are in an environment where there could be silicone dust silica dust whatever Mm -hmm. i don't even know what the pronunciation of it is silica dust is good enough good good enough for us then make sure you stay up on the industry material that's out there to provide for proper health and safety guidelines so we talked about a very specific way you can suffocate and that's kind of bordering on a medical condition right because it's technically yeah, well, yeah your lungs are getting scarred up and you can't yeah. get oxygen anymore and uh so you can't breathe you, you suffocate right. but in, in all actuality a lot of those guys ended up dying of heart attacks mm. because when they're trying to breathe and they can't their the blood pressure goes up and strain yeah. they end up dying of heart attacks but you know some of them just suffocate you know right most suffocating events are much faster you know you're not suffocating over the course of 20 or 30 years and we don't usually talk about medical things on this show. Right. We don't really know anything about medicine. And no. There's plenty of other people who do. So let's talk maybe about some other ways you can suffocate that are more traumatic, that are more quick. Common and common. Not necessarily more common, but... They're definitely more common than that. Well, some are, some aren't. So we did an earlier episode, I believe it was episode number three on drowning. Technically, drowning is a way to suffocate because... True. 
it's an obstruction of your airway caused by a liquid and it could be any liquid but just most commonly water because water is the probably the most common natural liquid in like an episode what was it three episode three people drown with beer beer right yeah. and there's been cases of people drowning in chocolate for example and other things like that just Wonka, augustus yeah i mean dropping into the chocolate uh river they actually drowned though i don't think they actually drowned i don't think he drowned i think he went up a pipe or something whatever i think the oompa loompas would be more likely to drown because they're lower to the ground so you know, if they fell in they'd be in trouble like they two, were super close yeah yeah and they were they were probably more dense so they didn't float as well maybe i don't know anyway so drowning would probably be i would assume the most common non-medical way to drown oh to suffocate sorry right suffocate. drowning is obviously the most common way to drown there's a lot of other ones we can talk about um we can talk about for example choking Choking, choking is on, another one. Choking on food. Common. Choking on food. But yeah. anything. Right. Mean, obviously. You could choke on hair. Sure. I mean, I guess hair could be food if you wanted it to be, but that's pretty gross. Okay. Uh, hair, huh? I had a lot of hair in it. Gross. <laughs> anyway, so what else could we talk about? We could talk about exposure to gaseous particles. So, True. For example, something like chlorine gas or mustard gas. Um Carbon monoxide is Carbon very monoxide common. is one of the, I believe it's carbon the third dioxide. most common way. Technically, carbon dioxide does not kill you, though. It displaces the, so when... Carbon dioxide does not displace. Carbon no, no, no. Dioxide carbon monoxide displaces. When you, yes. but if you're in a uh, enclosed environment like mm. a spaceship or submarine mm-hmm. and you run out of air, you start, bre- you, you die because you're just breathing carbon dioxide back in and you can't get anything from it, right? It's the lack of oxygen that kills you, not yeah, carbon dioxide. Yeah, of course. But carbon dioxide does build up in your bloodstream and can get very poisonous. Right. What are some other good ways to suffocate? There's also physical injuries. You know, somebody sure. choking you. Sure. Somebody, you know, putting their mouth over you. Yeah. You know, choke holds, whatever. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Those are other ways to do it. I think one of the more freaky ways to die is through other kinds of industrial gases. So one that I know is very common is anhydrous ammonia. Every year there are several farm workers who die from this. So it's a it's a non-liquid form of ammonia that you use to spray on crops and like a fertilizer. It's a fertilizer. Yeah, it's basically ammonia is either a gas or a solid, and depending on what point it can um, take different phases. So in this specific phase, it's reduced out of water, so it's more airborne. Mm-hmm. And it just creates a cloud of poisonous gas, and you just drop that if you go in there. Well, that's not good. Lots of gases do that. And a lot of the gases out there that do this are heavier than air, so they tend to sit on the ground. I know that uh, sometimes, like, firefighters use, like, halon. Yes, halon. And so halon is a oxygen displacement type right. thing, so it'll also suffocate you. Basically, any kind of gas that's suffocating you is just displacing the oxygen. That's right. And I believe believe there's probably some exception to that i don't know about the chemistry smoke inhalation during fires is i think it's suffocation it's the same it is i guess right it's kind of semantical at that point is it suffocation is it something else but at that point it's just displacing the oxygen i think as a general rule of thumb anything that's causing you to not take oxygen into your body would be considered suffocation right yeah so if you got stranded in deep space and there was no air would you be technically suffocating would that kill you first would that pressure change kill you first I don't really know, but I, I have no consider idea. that to be suffocation. I, I would possibly. imagine that suffocation takes a couple of minutes, but uh, getting into a vacuum probably is much faster. Death. Some suffocation I don't know. can be very quick, apparently. People could just instantly pass out from it. Hmm. So I think part of it is also 
the shock of it and how it interacts. So if you, for example, walk into a room and it's full of poison gas, you'll go a lot faster than if you expect it. True. And I think we're all right. Well, time here. Well, suffocation is a terrible way to die. If we had been having trouble breathing this whole time, we'd be dead by now because that was about five minutes. That's right. So that's all we have time for today. And we'll see you next week. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Join us next time. We'll be exploring, I think, Death by Falling. Falling. Death by Falling. Falling. Okay. All right. So until next time. Stay safe stay out, out there. there. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs>